you've not already done so, would you please keep your Bibles open there at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2? If you have not gotten your Bible yet, if you will get that, we're going to study this passage of Scripture together. While you're turning, for those of you who are visiting with us today, I've met some of you coming in. We want you to know how much we appreciate you. We appreciate your interest in Scripture. We appreciate your interest in worshiping God, and we want to invite you back at every opportunity that you may have to be with us. And if you are looking for a place to work and worship, we'd love to have you to work and worship with us as we strive to serve God together. For those of you who are visiting, I will tell you that I'm preaching a series of lessons entitled, A Church Everyone Would Love. In studying through the books of the New Testament, you are acquainted with and find a number of good congregations of God's people. And when you get to the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, there is a great endearment that Paul has for those brethren. He loves them, he appreciates them, and there's so many wonderful characteristics about which he could speak, and he does enumerate them. I'm very thankful that I have the privilege to work with a good congregation as well, and I think that as a person reads and studies through these books, you will appreciate this good congregation and see a lot of the similarities to be found therein. We're going to talk about overcoming Satan's hindrances. Let's begin like this. You have to remember from the very beginning of time with man on the face of this earth, Satan has been our adversary. He doesn't want you to be saved. He doesn't want you to go to heaven. He wants you to be in the same miserable shape that he is in. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, near the end of that verse, he says, And the power of Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren, who accuse them before our God day and night, has been cast down. I want you to know that Satan's desire is to say to God, this person over here, he is a failure. He is not worthy of God saving and making accusations day and night. I will tell you that Satan wants to hinder people from becoming Christians. He doesn't want people to attend the services of the church. He doesn't want people to read the scriptures. He doesn't want God's word to have any influence in our society. He wants to keep you ignorant. He wants to keep you entertained. He wants to keep your thoughts and your minds anywhere but serving God. Satan also wants to hinder Christians from being saved and from remaining faithful. You see, what he would like to do is he'd like to persuade you that there's something out there better than God's Word. He'd like to persuade you that there's more valuable things that you could do with your time than to assemble with other Christians and offer praise and devotion to God. Satan is your enemy. 
Satan does not love you. Satan does not care for you. Paul said in Galatians 5 and verse 7, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? I can tell you who's hindering you. Who's trying to destroy you, and that is Satan. Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 shows how to overcome Satan's hindrances. There's four things that we're going to look at, and Paul in chapter 2 is talking about his work with the Thessalonians, and you have to see some parallels. And so we're going to look at four things, and it's going to be an outline, if you will, of chapter 2. Verses 1 through 8, the preaching there was difficult. It was tough. Number two, we're going to see the preaching there was demanding in verses 9 through 12. Demanding of Paul, demanding to some degree of the Thessalonians. And then we're going to see it was dangerous in verses 13 through 16. I know the world in which we live today is becoming a much more dangerous place. There was once upon a time in most of our lifetimes an idea that we probably would not suffer any physical harm for professing our faith. But what you saw happen in California this past week makes it only too real that in a small community that someone could take weapons and seek to do us harm simply because of who we are and what we believe. And then finally, it will be desired. Let's look, first of all, at preaching that was difficult. Let's begin with verses 1 through 8, and I want you to read in your copy of the Bible. It's going to be on the screen if you don't have a copy. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, who, but God who tests our heart. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased not only to impart to you only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you have become dear to us. How do you measure success and failure in the spiritual realm? In other words, like a congregation like Bobby Branch or a congregation like Thessalonica, how do you know a work is successful? Is the gospel being preached? Are people becoming obedient to it? Are there people's lives being changed by the message of God's word? 
Paul said in the very first verse, he said, our gospel was not in vain. It actually accomplished something. Now I want you to know Satan tried. Satan tried with them in chapter 3, verse 5. For this reason I can no longer endure. I sent to know your faith, lest by any or some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. Paul was worried. He was concerned. When you go into a group of people and you declare God's message, is it possible that the devil can somehow influence you, persuade you, divert you? Well, you know it is. Paul says ours was not in vain. In fact, when we read about the Galatians, he was really worried about them. In Galatians 4 verse 11, I am afraid for you lest when I labored for you in vain. Or Philippians 2.16, Holding fast the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. No one wants to know that they spent a considerable amount of time and then it failed. The Thessalonians didn't fail. You have not failed. Andrew Carnegie made a very popular statement. He said, anything worth having is worth working for. So if we're going to talk about the preaching there was difficult, was it worth it to put the effort, the time, the difficulty involved to be able to reach these people? Absolutely it was. In fact, every stop, every place on Paul's missionary journey was fraught with difficulty and problems. I could go through the book of Acts, starting with Acts 13, going all the way through Acts 28, And we could read about Paul's stops, but let me just use a summary from Acts 20, verse 22. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor I count my life dear to myself that I may finish the race with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said, what I want you to know is everywhere I go, yes, there's difficulty, but that doesn't change the mission. Just because... The preaching of God's word is difficult. Just because the obedience of God's word is difficult doesn't mean that we should allow Satan to hinder us. In fact, if you focus in on Paul's work in Thessalonica, you'll see that he ended up leaving with situations very tense and the problems followed him. In Acts 17, verse 10, he says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Why did they go by night? Because 
things were so difficult there. You get to verse 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Everywhere you would go, there were people ready to, to create conflict. There are people willing to create conflict in your life today because of being a Christian. But you see, there's a great difficulty that Paul begins to enumerate in these verses that explains some of the difficulty. You see, because when you preach God's Word today, there's going to be a number of different competitors that are willing to do things differently and be able to have much more impact sometimes. These are Satan's hindrances. For instance, some of them use deceitful methods. They use trickery. They use flattery. You know, rather than telling people what they need to hear, they will tell people what they want to hear. To flatter someone means to tell them that everything is okay in their life. Here's a person who comes and their life is just burdened with sin. And there someone tells them, oh, don't worry about that sin. It's okay. All of us sin, it's no big deal. Or someone comes along and they bait and switch them. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 through 15, he describes such people as false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. He said, it's no great thing that his ministers transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. Religiously today, we're in competition with religions that will tell people it doesn't matter what you believe, how you act, and there's no principles that are so sacred and so divine that you can't violate them. But Paul also talks about people who use this as a cloak of covetousness. Or to use other words in the Bible, they make merchandise. For instance, in 2 Peter 2, 3, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. There are people who are more interested in taking what you have than they are in providing you what you need. And then when you go to verse 26 of Luke 6, there are people who will say anything that needs to be said to get people to follow them. And Jesus warns, Woe to you when all men shall speak well of you. So did the fathers to the false prophets. Now, let's continue on. We've looked at verses 1 through 8 and seen how that it was very difficult. Now in verses 9 through 12, we're going to see it was demanding. Demanding of Paul, demanding of the congregation. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, when we preach to you the gospel of God, you are witnesses. 
And God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and own glory. Now, sometimes it is the best for a person to forego his rights. You see, we live in a world today where rights are important, where people feel as if I somehow should always have my rights regardless of how it might affect you or might affect others. We have people who are demanding their rights. But when you look at the scriptures, you see people many times who surrender their own rights. Our Lord, for instance, was worthy of all the adoration and praise and honor and glory, and yet our Lord adorned a towel and washed the disciples' feet. When you look at the context here, Paul talks about his own personal support. And he would explain in other passages how it is not only proper, but it is right for those who preach the gospel to be supported of the gospel. Galatians 6 and verse 6, Let him who is taught in the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Or in 1 Corinthians 9, 11, 14, If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Verse 14, those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Just because though that was a right, Paul didn't always exercise that right. When he was at Corinth and when he was at Thessalonica, he didn't do that. Chapter 9 and verse 12 If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right. We didn't use it because it wasn't something that we wanted to do lest it hinder the gospel of Christ. You and I ought to think about that. When preaching is demanding and when living the Christian life is demanding, we say, now, if I do something, if I say something... I act in a certain way. Will that hinder the gospel of Christ? And you say, but it's my right. Yes, but will it hinder the gospel of Christ? If it is, we ought to forego those rights. He didn't want to be a burden to the brethren. And he provided them an example of how a Christian ought to act. And that's exactly what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. And I would not be burdensome to you. So the gospel preaching is difficult. It is demanding. Now let's talk about it being dangerous. Let's look at verses 13 through 16 together. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as it is, not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in 
Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men. Now listen carefully to verse 16. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Now, when you look at the first part of this section, verse 13, you see the emphasis upon their reception of the word of God. And the last part of that verse says, which effectively works in you who believe. The Word of God has an effective power. You've got a young man here. He opens his Bible. He reads. He learns the truth. And it changes him. It changes his mind. It changes the way he thinks about things. Ultimately, it changes his actions. God's Word, as it encounters the life's Men and women and boys and girls, it makes a difference if they believe. But teaching and changing people's lives will bring an upheaval. I want you to think with me. When Paul arrived in Thessalonica and as he preached the word there, did it have an influence and an impact in that community? Well, well, yes, it did. I want you to go with me for just a moment to Acts 17. Let's look at verses 5 through 9. I want you to look at it particularly from the life of at least just one person, from a man by the name of Jason. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them. And these are acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Here the gospel comes to Thessalonica. What does it do? As Paul said, it effectively works in those who believe. Here's Jason. Call by name, other brethren. What do they do? They take them before the city officials and they accuse them. Being a Christian was dangerous and it was costly. As you can see, Jason and others had to provide security or what we might call bail. They were threatened for preaching the gospel. Not only did those who hear not accept it, 
They didn't want others to have an opportunity. You go back to 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13 and he says there that we should not speak to the Gentiles. They didn't want us to teach them. Let me tell you, there's a lot of people who don't want the gospel preached. In Acts 4, verses 17 and 18, the council threatened the apostles by saying, but so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them. And from now on they speak no more in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. You know what they did? They kept on doing it. You get to chapter 5, verse 28, and they came back and they said, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with this doctrine, or your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. You see, the preaching of the gospel is dangerous because you'll tell people, you quit preaching it. You quit preaching it. I don't think it's going to be long before they're going to tell us, you can't preach against homosexuality. It's not going to be long before they're going to say, you can't preach and say that another man is a sinner. Will we stop? God forbid. When you get to Acts 11, they didn't want the gospel preached to the Gentiles either. But the gospel was preached. Now let's, let's tie this together. Let's look at verses 17 through 20. And you see it's difficult. You see it's demanding. You see it's dangerous. Well, if it's all those things, then why do it? It's because it's valuable to be done. It's desirable. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, and even I, Paul, time to time, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. You remember when I began, I asked the question about something being a success or a failure? What is the success? That's when you get to the day of judgment and you can look standing beside you and there are faithful Christians because you either preach the gospel to them you help them see the gospel. You help provide for them the gospel. And some of you can turn your head and look around and see people in this auditorium that you have encouraged and uplifted and helped be faithful. Paul said that he was taken away from them Literally, the word is orphaned. I think about those mothers and fathers who have their children taken away from them for whatever reason. And I think about those children whose parents are taken away from them and the, the parting, the, the tears, the, the sadness that is there. 
Paul looked at the Thessalonians just like his children. And to be torn away from them, to be like orphaning them, was really distressing. Paul's idea was is that those who truly care, he said there's no greater thing that you can do than to bestow God's word upon them. You know, going back to verse 8, so affectionately longing for you, we were pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. When you become dear, you're willing to give anything, you're willing to give everything for those you love. Paul loved the Thessalonians. And to overcome Satan, you've got to have the right love for God and you've got to have the right love for your fellow man. I want to come full circle now. I want to use an illustration of Jesus found in John chapter 10, verses 1 and 10. He's going to use the illustration about a sheepfold and the shepherd and someone who's trying to create harm. He said in verse 1, Most assuredly, I say to you that he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. You go to verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. Satan wants you spiritually dead. He wants to steal your soul. The latter part of verse 10 says, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Satan has his tricks, his devices. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. Oh, he's, he's got his tricks. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, to be able to stand against the wiles of trickery of the devil. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, Goes about seeking whom he may devour, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Folks, Satan would love to destroy you. Satan would love to destroy this congregation. But we're not going to let him. Great churches, the one like you would want to be a part of, will expose Satan and expose what he's doing and urge people to overcome. Don't let Satan win in your life. You can make a choice right now. We're going to sing the invitation song here in just a moment. You look at your life. Your life is broken. You don't have the Lord in your life. You don't have truth in your life. Why not abandon the world and abandon Satan's trickery and say, I want to be a Christian. I want to be a faithful Christian. You come forward, confess your faith in Christ, and be baptized. The Lord will add you to his great body, the church.
Acts 2, verse 38, verse 47. If you're a Christian and you've been toting around a knapsack full of sin and you realize I've let Satan persuade me, deceive me, why not unload that burden at the cross of Christ? Come back and be restored. Would you come while together we stand and sing?